Welcome back. We hope you've been behaving yourself. This is Jackie Noto. And this is Mary Lewis. Welcome to Behave Yourself, a podcast on BA without the BS. Jackie, what is your beverageino of the week? From flat soda to frappe, how has it been going? Ooh, my beverageino of this week is going to go ahead and be Gatorade, specifically the light blue one, or if you're a person who likes the names, that Glacier Frost. I want to go even further that I'm not talking about Gatorade Zero. Gatorade Zero is not my friend. I do no. not like it. Regular Gatorade, Glacier Freeze, or Glacier Frost, whatever, light blue, you know what I'm talking about. It's Top the best flavor. Yeah. Top tier the Gatorade. Only, the only flavor that we consider. Yeah. The only one that counts. The only yeah. one that's real. Mm-hmm. Light blue. Light blue, ride or die. And I feel like that's my choice of the week. It's got those electrolytes doing a little bit of a pick me up without flooding me with caffeine, but giving my body what it needs, doing activities that are beneficial for myself, my health, my mental health and longevity. So I'm going to go ahead and go with the light blue Gatorade. What mm. is your beverageino of this week? Oh, that was very Moira Rose of you. Thank you. Thank you. My beverageino is a cappuccino with extra, extra, extra foamed milk. And the milk needs to be oat, coconut, or almond. I don't care which one. Super, super, super hot. I'm envisioning the Devil Wears Prada. I'm envisioning mm-hmm. Meryl Streep who is apparently Anna Wintour. I just learned that, but apparently not. I don't know. It's hearsay. I'm envisioning the transformation and the theme song of her going from like Andy not knowing what's going on to Andy being incredible wearing Chanel. I'm making some plans, creating some major deadlines for this week that are long-term, but I think are really going to come to fruition. I'm doing some manifesting, if, if you will, in the form of severe goal setting for specific details and I'm feeling like I can accomplish almost anything that's my beverage of the week that's how I'm feeling a little cross between boss bitch vibes Mm. and David (laughs) David that's what that drink makes me think of David Rose I love it we also this is not gonna be my wreck it's too good not to say though um extra you guys get a little extra um wreck of the week I guess freebie allows you to watch Shit's Creek. It's a new platform. I didn't have to log in or anything. I don't know if that's because I have Amazon or something, but Freebie is a new platform. They allow you to watch Shit's Creek. There are advertisements. Who freaking cares? I don't have Hulu, and so I haven't been able to watch it, and I've been watching it in the 20-minute episodes while I'm eating lunch are really saving my life the past couple of days, so I had to add in that extra wreck. Sorry for that. No apologies needed. We're huge Shit's Creek fans here. You know, as Amora always says, you just have to fold it in, David. <laughs> fold it in. <laughs> I can't wait for the comments on how awful my Moira Rose impression is, but that's fine. <laughs> I think it's beautiful. I think it's very accurate. Thank you. Thank you. So Schitt's Creek is our not official recommendation of the week, but a forever recommendation in the eyes of the two of us. Yes. What is your official rec for this week? Okay. <clears throat> my official rec for this week is a book. And a specific chapter in a book, it was given to me by a friend, Christina. Thank you for the book. It is called Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. Specifically, the routines chapter 
I really like this book because as a behavior analyst, you can kind of pull apart the function of behavior and what might be potential reinforcers to motivate yourself or to change certain habits shape your behaviors, but I want to read this little snippet specifically from the routine section. I was obsessed with this chapter and would highly recommend this book and think it's great, but it says without giving it away, so you can actually like read the book for yourself about routines. Location has energy. Time has memory. They obviously explain, he explains what that means. If you do something at the same time every day, it becomes easier and natural makes sense from a behavior analytic perspective if you do something in the same space every day it becomes easier and natural and he elaborates but that would be my recommendation of the week and I've really been loving the book I haven't completed it yet and that aligns with some of those writing behaviors we've seen so ways to be a successful writer those hacks we were talking about being in that same location at that same time leads to repetition, which leads to mastery of those behaviors. So I think that's a great chapter to be recommending. Thank you. And what is your recommendation of the week? Ooh, you could look at Sacramento girls or girls of Sacramento and try to find other individuals who are typically like twenties to forties who are looking to foster new relationships, new friendships. So that's my uh, big rec there is getting yourself in the community getting yourself in some of those Facebook groups and finding people who are interested in things you are. Like in the group I'm in, there are breakdowns of uh, moms, gals 35 plus, gals under 35, LGBTQ plus, gals who work from home, volunteering, meet for dinner, brunch and chat, book clubs, fitness pals. So there's all these different subsects, no matter what you're interested in, that you can find other people who like it too, which I think is always great. Instead of trying to find a friend and then see what you have in common, you're seeing what you have in common first and then finding friends through that. I would have never known that there would be so many established groups already that you can very easily find a specific niche for. Oh yeah, like this group has thousands of people who are members, like six to 7,000. And like for the music bingo tonight, I was actually supposed to go to a book club, but it had to be canceled because the individual running it had some family issues. Absolutely understandable. But I was expecting to do something tonight at 630. So I popped over into one of the chats, saw that music bingo was happening tonight at a local bar at 630. So I threw in there, hey, who wants to go? And now there's a group of like four or five of us who are planning to go. So it's really easy to find other people who are interested in making friends and then already have some of those interests that you have. And that's just one of the Facebook groups I found. There's another one that's called like She Squad. And I think a lot of it being rooted in predominantly women is not to be exclusionary of men, but I think it's more so for those safety behaviors, uh, wanting to feel comfortable and safe when you're out. When you are meeting someone for the first time, I think that meeting someone who has similar characteristics to you helps with safety and the comfortability of that interaction. Especially for arriving to a new location and walking in, like that step of having someone with you, I think is huge, even if you're going to continue to meet new people once you're there or, and then also having, you know, somebody to walk out with, I think that can be, make you just make it a safer experience and also lead to more enjoyment as far as planning, reaching out and going, which it seems like you can do through those Facebook groups. 
Yeah. And those are main social anxiety things for me. Mm -hmm. Going to meet a new person, going to meet a new person at a new location. And funny enough, the creme de la creme for me of social anxiety is parking. Yeah. So I can like, I can get past meeting a new person, whatever. That's fine. I'm I've met so many new people in my life, whatever new locations. I like to go new places. I like to try new things. That's fine. But then the anxiety really kicks in when I show up and I don't know where to park. Like if there's only street parking, because then you get into, I might be late. I don't know how I'm going to get back here. What if I lose my spot? What if I can't figure out where my spot is? So something, if it helps you take it, if you hate it, leave it. But something that I like to do before going to new places is I will literally pull up Google Maps and go to the street level view so I can see what parking is available and where I would likely be parking, which helps me a lot to feel more confident. And then if it is somewhere with street parking, I'm able to find ahead of time either I'm, I'm a good parallel parker, so I can park in the street, but if I'm going in circles, that's going to bring that anxiety. So finding a nearby parking garage that is in close walking proximity to the location I'm going also really helps to mitigate some of those anxiety feelings I have. That's another wreck. Okay. You guys just got two secret wrecks or two, (laughs) two unplanned spontaneous wrecks. I would have never thought of that. I will be doing that in the future, especially if I need to parallel park in their street parking. Yeah. One of the best ways to mitigate my anxiety is to get myself as prepared as possible to know what I'm going to be experiencing, which makes sense. I mean, it's something that we have to do in our, what's the thing that you get from the university for approval to run a study? IRB. IRB. I was like, IRA, that's the Irish Republican army. (laughs) That's something that we- The IRA has to approve. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's typically something that comes up when it goes even with IRBs for studies. You want to inform your participants of everything that they're expecting. That way it's not a shock when it happens. So I try to do that with myself to mitigate that anxiety, try to figure out everything about the place I'm going. I honestly, Mayor, I even do it with menus. If I'm going to eat somewhere new with a new person, I don't want to spend all this time. time. Mm-hmm. Also, so, I can't have a conversation with you, especially if I don't know you and read the menu that I've never seen before in my life. Spot on, spot on. So I'll figure out what I'm eating ahead of time, which might seem like very controlling, but it's just so that I have less stress at the time that I'm there exactly. and I can be in the moment then. Yeah. And actively listening. Jackie, what topic are we spilling the tea on today? Ooh, today we're diving into social networking. So we're going to be talking about how to initiate some of those solo conversations one-on-one, how to get into a group conversation, and then we're going to wrap up our talk today with potential places to network. Mm, We love. All right, let's dive in. Diving in. The first tip, here's the thing that everybody needs to know. Jackie Noto is a skilled networker (laughs) and I'm, and Mary Lewis is not, not as much. I have skills hundred percent, but I have more have stories to share mistakes that I've made that I've told Jackie about that she's provided me feedback on. So now I know what you should do. Um, But I also know what's, I do have some success stories of how I've networked successfully in the past, but I do also want to share um, some learning opportunities that I have lived through in terms of networking. And then Jackie can give you um, her success stories because she has way many. She has many more. Funny enough in our program, 
I've, it's been hinted that one of my superpowers is social networking. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So the first piece of advice that I would like to share that I've learned through contingency-based, not rule-governed. Trial and error. Trial and error is how to initiate a solo conversation, how to maintain a conversation with one particular person, especially if you don't know them, especially if there's a power dynamic where you're a student or you're quote below them and they are, you know, very well established in the field, whatever you want to phrase it as, or even if you think that's your perspective. Something that I had to learn and accept that has led me to have successful networking conversations is if you, especially when you're approaching this person, if you think about it and have the mindset of a people pleaser, you're never going to have the conversation. And that's, that's just my experience. The times when I've been in that mindset of solely focusing on what their reaction is and how that's going to impact my behavior, I cut off the conversation before we can even talk about anything valuable. Because in my head, I'm like, they don't want to talk to me when it could just be I haven't said anything, they don't know me. Or I've said like, Oh, I'm Mary Lewis, I'm a student. And they're like, cool. Like, what else? Like you need give them the opportunity to be like, wow, that's awesome. Like, what do you do or to ask them that question. So you got to throw the people pleasing perspective out of your head. Otherwise, you're just going to cut yourself off. Or that's what I used to do. And even if it's not successful, and they still don't really want to chat with you it's probably not about you don't worry about it move on pat yourself on the back for trying that networking opportunity and it's no big deal because it will totally happen it's not going to work every time but that is how I have had poor (laughs) social networking interactions where I just cut myself off before we can even get to any of the meat and potatoes and then also how I've had successful and more natural organic networking conversations with people that I admire Yeah. And like you're saying, it's not going to be a success every time. When you think about the social networking, I kind of like to think about it as a first date. You're not always going to leave a first date feeling happy about it. You're not always going to leave a first date wanting to continue that conversation. And that's okay. Sometimes these go off without a hitch. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time. When you're entering these conversations, something that I think is really helpful to keep in mind is the frame in which it's taking place. So if I walk up to Mary and I really value Mary, I really value her opinions in the field, but Mary doesn't know who I am. How am I showing Mary that we can have a conversation? Mm -hmm. So when you're going up to these people who are higher in the field, professors, you might know a lot about them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they know anything about you. So one of the things that I like to do before entering those conversations is one, I strongly recommend if you're about to enter a conversation with someone that you know something about them. If you're going into this one-on-one, you should know what research they do, how that aligns to what you do. And then you can start a conversation there. Like I've seen that you've done multiple studies on BST training. That's something that I'm interested in as a student. What are your thoughts on X, Y, Z and allowing that opening? So that's one way that we can get into these is connecting what they do with what you do so that there's a mutual content topic that you can discuss. But there's also the second part where sometimes it's easier just to talk about what's happening around you, making a joke about how all the food disappeared in the first 15 minutes from breakfast, having a softer lead in. And focusing on what's in the here and now, that has, I got that tip from Jackie. Surprise, surprise. I have used it. It has been successful, especially if you're getting kind of nervous, you feel awkward, or you're experiencing that social anxiety in the moment. On the flip side, and related to talking about the here and now, 
times where I have quote successfully engaged in networking, which means like I'm able to have a conversation with them and we leave with it being like, wow, that was great. It's nice to meet you is when I'm not trying when it's an accident. And that is usually because you're next to them. You mentioned something about the here and now, and then you kind of get into revealing a little bit about yourself or who you are, what school you're at. And then if it flows, it flows. And those are times where I've had quote successful networking experiences, which is ironic because it's when I'm not actually actively trying to quote network appropriately with someone in the field. And having that difference helps to keep it light, not Mm -hmm. make it as heavy. And I think that's helpful because whenever you're having a new conversation with someone that you don't know, or they don't know you, it's always going to be uncomfortable Mm -hmm. on both sides. Yeah. I've had it happen before where I've been at a conference and someone that I've taught or uh, who's watched one of my presentations before came up to me and dove into a conversation as if I knew exactly who they were. So on the receiving end, it can be uncomfortable as well. So something I like to do when I'm initiating a conversation with someone that I want to know is I am aware that it's uncomfortable for both parties. So I try to keep it light. Yeah. And accept it. Yeah. Make it, make a joke, make it funny. Um, maybe, you know, we, I did the example of the breakfast food disappearing, but you could also, if you see that this person and you both didn't make it into a burnout talk, you can bring that up. Oh, wow. I really wish we could have gotten into this talk. I wonder if anyone's going to leave halfway through so we can grab their seats. Keep it focused on those lighter topics. Uh, the theme of the conference, maybe the karaoke song someone sang last night that gave you a chuckle, anything that's going to help to reestablish that comfort. We're more likely to stay in situations that we are comfortable in compared to when we feel uncomfortable, we're looking for those escapes. So if we don't put too much weight on it for ourselves, it's not going to put a bunch of weight on it for the other person as well. It's likely going to lead to a much more natural flow of conversation and a better taste being left in the mouth when you walk away than if it's a super formal ABC XYZ conversation. In terms of making, establishing comfort, having a little chuckle here and there, you know, that leaves an impression that is, I would argue, more memorable than the like robotic, uh, awkward chat, which I most of the time engage in that I'm trying not to engage in. So I definitely think that those are all incredible recommendations. My final um, learning opportunity trick habit is if you are waiting to talk to someone and they're, you know, engaged with someone else. And like, this is the only time you can talk to them, or this is an opportunity where you can talk to them, but you don't want to make it appear like you're like waiting for them. Like, like you're being impatient is I think it's totally acceptable to be closer, like be in their vicinity and just like sit down or stand by a table and act like you're doing something else, whether you actually are or not. And then if the opportunity presents itself and the transition is there where you can approach them without bombarding them, go for it. And if not, no stress, like go into it with low stakes. And if it happens, it's going to happen. If it doesn't, don't force it because then you can kind of, you know, throw them off guard. Yeah, for acting like you're doing something else, you might be wondering what what do we mean by that? So if you're at a conference, you could be writing notes in your journal. You could be sending a text to your friends. You could be looking at a menu. You can be running through the brochure, the pamphlet. 
And it doesn't necessarily need to be something that you're actively doing, but it's kind of a behavior placeholder until this wraps up. That's something that I've done, not just in networking situations, but following someone's talk. At the end of someone's presentation, you want to ask them a question or you want to make that connection with them. And so do five other people. So when those five other people are standing there talking to them, instead of kind of hovering over that conversation, giving a little bit of that space, allowing that conversation and space to flourish because you'd want the same for yourself and doing some simple behaviors, rewriting your notes, making underlines, whatever that looks like, it makes it less of an uncomfortable, awkward aspect where it seems like you're just standing there waiting and it makes it more fluid. When we talk about networking, we often make it seem as if it's something that happens in this one-on-one dynamic. But from my experience, potentially from Mary's experience as well, typically what happens is someone is not just standing on their own. They might be standing on their own after they give their talk, but outside of right after their presentation, most of the times that you see someone that you want to engage in social networking with, they're going to be with other people or in a group. So how do we initiate ourselves into the group conversation that's typically taking place without it being awkward or uncomfortable? I have an excellent non-example for this. (laughs) I have attempted one or two times to um, approach a group, usually in between talks or at lunch um, with a group of people. Maybe I know a few of them or maybe I know of them. But clearly, like, there is a group conversation going on and, you know, I want to engage and be a part, but I don't really want to, like, I don't want the spotlight on me. So some ways that I've attempted and failed is by walking up to them and immediately saying something, like, almost, like, interrupting. That has gone Mm -hmm. very poorly for me. Also, this is just my personal experience. Like, take, take, if it's worked for you, like, live your life. But this is literally me trying and failing. So that did not work. Um, also in terms of, um, like getting a vibe, if it seems like they are like very, very close together in proximity, maybe there's some whispering, maybe there's some emotional behavior, maybe not the best time to interrupt, you know, maybe like skirt that a little bit and come back later. So I had a specific scenario that honestly, guys, it just was, it was not good. It was really bad. It was awkward. I felt really uncomfortable and embarrassed. And so I talked to Jackie about it. She talked me through it and she (laughs) gave me some pointers and I'm going to try this. The next conference I go to, I'm really going to actively try to do this because most people, Jackie's right. It seems like they're in a group. It's less likely to be hanging out on your own. Um, But also I think it's totally great to like put yourself out there and just literally be sitting by yourself because it gives other people an opportunity to come up to you. That's not what we're talking about though. So for initiating a group conversation, These are the recommendations that I have, and I will engage in some say-do correspondence and share my success when I try this in the future because I haven't tried it yet. Upcoming conference. Upcoming conference. But if I'm trying to join a group conversation and the conversation's already started, first thing that is so easy to do that it kind of is interrupting, but not really because you can just ask one person, walk up and say, if there's an open seat, so that's the thing. If if there's not an open seat and there's no room, like don't force yourself in there. Again, that might be another cue to be like skirt. But if there's an open seat, walk up to the person that is closest to that seat and be like, do you mind if I sit here? And then they'll either say like, yeah, sure. Or like, I mean, they might say no. But then again, if they say no, skirt, who they're lost by. They're probably yep. going to say, yeah, totally fine. Sit down, close your mouth, just sit down. 
And that is great because it allows that comfort to be restated. Mm -hmm. You're not just assuming that you can be there. You're asking consent for you to be present. So I think that really helps in keeping that comfortability of the person that you're trying to initiate the conversation with or the group of people. And this allows you to provide some context as to what they're talking about. This is a great opportunity for you without being so obvious about it to be listening to what's happening and to gauge the conversation. Like, are they talking about a sensitive subject that maybe like, you know, they don't want somebody else to be talking about? Are they talking about something that seems a little bit more private? Or are they talking about something that I can say something about? And if you have nothing to say, no worries. If you do have something that you can contribute, wait a little bit, hear the context. And if the opportunity presents itself, that's when you can say something and contribute. Once the event is over, whether you've had something to say or not, because it doesn't matter either way, once the event is over or you're ready to leave, do the same thing that you did when you initially started, almost like asking or requesting and being grateful and saying, thank you so much for letting me join you. I'm off to another talk. It was great to hear your conversation. And that's the ideal way. Have I done this? Absolutely not, but I will be trying it. And what I like about sitting and listening to what's happening before chiming in is like Mary was saying, it provides that context. So I haven't had it happen to me, but I have seen it happen where there's a group combo going on Uh, maybe I'm in that group convo and someone walks up and goes, what are you talking about? And then you have to pause. And I'm the type of person who, yeah, I am going to surmise for you everything that we were discussing because I had people pleasing tendencies, but that also halts the conversation. Yeah. So any new topics, new ideas, connections that were being made at that point, have to pause and do a recap. Whereas in reality, if you sit down, drink some of your water, cross out the talk you went to, highlight the next one, that's going to give you some time to hear the general context of what's being discussed. Likely at a conference, it's going to be something pertaining to behavior analysis. So you don't necessarily need to get a summary of what's being talked about before you are able to join in. Mm -hmm. I would just suggest pausing for a second to make sure that you're aware of what's being discussed and what value you can bring to that conversation. So we have given some examples, some examples and non-examples of how to initiate a solo conversation to network, how to initiate and join in on a group conversation. Now let's talk about potential locations to network. Oh yeah. So one of my first ones here is going to be those poster sessions. So I feel that poster sessions often are underutilized by students who go because it kind of has this vibe of, if I'm not giving a poster, I'm going to use this time elsewhere. But when it comes to these poster sessions, one, you're going to see a bunch of people who are presenting their research with the expectation that people are going to walk up to them and ask them about their research. So that's a super easy social networking opportunity because they're expecting conversation. Which is why I have signed up for the next conference I'm going to, to be a judge of the posters, which literally means I am required to be there at a specific time. And I walk up to the presenters, the poster presenters, the researchers, and say, hello, tell me about your research. I would love to hear about your poster. It's a great example of setting yourself up for success for social networking interactions. On that same note, so Mary right now is an ABD, so she's all about her dissertation in terms of her doctoral studies here. 
And that's going to be a typical kind of person who would be a judge or would be a discussant. You're typically going to see individuals who already have their masters, perhaps their teachers, researchers at universities. So they are going to be people with a little bit more experience in the field. And one of the cool things to know here is like Mary being a judge, she's going to be expected to be at the poster session for the duration. So not only can you be going up and talking to the individuals presenting the posters, but those discussants, those judges who are present, you then have that time to social network with them as well. And it's always beneficial when you're standing there talking to a presenter of the poster and that discussant comes up anyways, then all three of you are in that conversation and it can be a really easy, light feeling way to spark conversation because you all know what the function of your behavior is at that time. And to set the vibe for it actually being like low stakes, because it really is, you will see people walking around, even judges with um, a glass of wine, Mm -hmm. just to like set the scene. Like we're talking like, this is still a very valuable time. I agree with Jackie. And that's why I did sign up to be a poster judge because I wanted to be able to engage in those networking behaviors that are a little bit more contrived for me. But it is very much like a conversation that you are able to and have the time to really like get to know the researcher and to ask as many questions as little or as little or as many as you would like, you know, holding your little glass of wine, holding a little mocktail, just kind of hanging out, wandering around. It's usually about two hours. And I think it's a really, really nice setup, especially if you're wanting to engage with a lot of researchers in one specific setting. Yeah. And on top of that, not only do they have typically wine or a mocktail, but there's also often kind of like a charcuterie bar. Which one, who doesn't love a free snack, (laughs) but two, that's another great place to initiate a conversation that can be light. Like if you notice all the salami is gone, you can make a joke to the person next to you. Oh, I really wanted some salami. I guess it's a hot topic this weekend. And that's another easy, lighthearted way to enter a conversation. The breakfast buffet, the charcuterie line, the coffee line, the line at the bar, making those jokes, making lighthearted comments towards the people who are around you. Because then also, if the time comes up in the future that you do want to have a more formal interaction with them, they're going to remember how light and easy it was the last time you talked to them. You've reinforced talking to you. If you see me at a poster session, I am hoping my ideal self is holding a cup of hot decaf coffee with some cookies. When you said coffee bar, that just ignited that for me. I really hope that that's what I end up doing. That's the, that's my vibe. Yeah. Food's always a good way to initiate conversation because what do we find more comfort in than food? How can you not? For another location that you can potentially network besides poster sessions is after a symposium or after a talk. After the presenter is done giving their information, they're typically going to put up their email or their email will be in that program or brochure. But what I strongly recommend when it comes to social networking, even if it's brief, is going up and talking to that presenter afterwards. As students, we've been primed to know that people might come up to you after your talk to ask you questions. So the presenter is expecting to engage in some sort of conversation following their presentation. If you have a communication with them following the presentation, 
your follow-up email is going to come across much more seamlessly because you're not just another face in the crowd. You're someone that they're able to connect to that communication you had. So in that email, you're not just saying, hey, I saw you give this talk. You can say, hey, I saw you give this talk on this topic at ABAI, and I want to thank you for answering my question right after your presentation. I have some follow-up questions, or I would like to keep you as a colleague slash mentor in the field. Would you be willing to continue having conversations with me about XYZ topic? It helps to have that lead in as to why you're having this email interaction. And thanking someone is always a great way to start. Another way to have them remember you providing context, I think, is essential. Otherwise, mm -hmm. they're not even really going to know how to respond, or maybe they won't be able to respond the way that you're hoping that they will respond. Another way to provide that extra context is to have in the, your email signature a picture of yourself. Mm -hmm. I created my email signature on Canva. I love Canva. We are a Canva stan here. And I included a picture of myself. And I think it really helps when you're, especially when you're only email networking with someone and they haven't seen your face or they have seen your face and then you email them and they see your picture. And I had someone comment on it last week. I didn't really think it like made that much of a difference. And someone went, oh yeah, I saw your email signature and I recognized your face. So that's also a really good option. That could also be really helpful following a job fair after you've been talking to a recruiter and you have that facial connection there. When that follow-up email comes, they're probably going to be able to have a better idea of who you were from that day, which is one of our last two places that you can be engaging in the social networking. So at those job fairs that take place, one, they are a great place to get some swag. I love all the swag that's available at all the different booths. If you need new frequency clickers, new timers, they're going to have them. So get them for free there. Mary and I are also big t-shirt fans. We like to get the t-shirts from the different venues. Uh, but that's another great place that you can be engaging in social networking. What I recommend with the job fairs, in my anecdotal personal history, I do not find it beneficial to bring a printed out resume. I normally am not asked for one. It's also something that you have to worry about carrying. So what I typically do is I have business cards. My business cards include my name, my phone number, my email. And then what I do is I include my LinkedIn URL on my business cards. Now, this is only going to be beneficial if you have a fully filled out LinkedIn page, but that's a great way for them to be able to see all of the items that would have been on your resume anyways. And it's a lot easier for you to carry and for them to keep a hold of. Any interaction I've had with someone at a job fair where, you know, we're meeting and connecting and it's quick, it always goes to email. So LinkedIn is an amazing um, contact to like on your business card to have your LinkedIn listed, as Jackie said is amazing because if your LinkedIn is fold out, they do have your email. And so they can find your email via your LinkedIn, but they can also kind of see a little bit more about you, especially if they're on LinkedIn as well. Another thing that um, could be beneficial is, again, you can use Canva for this. With your business card, put a QR code on the back of it. And I've done this with actually research studies. I, I wanna try it with a business card, but you can make the QR code your email. So I love having the LinkedIn written out because, you know, some people might not have LinkedIn or they want to type it in or I don't know. But for some reason, 
I think having the QR code be the email is so nice because if they do have, you know, an iPhone or an Android, they can scan the QR code and then your email immediately pops up. So in terms of connecting, also in terms of you getting their email, it might be an easier way for, you know, them to scan it and then you to type in your email if that works better for them. So that would be my recommendation. Yeah, anything that's going to help to reduce that response effort. We Mm want to make it easy for individuals that we want to hear from to communicate with us, which real quick, I didn't state it, but I do want to let you know that as a person who has LinkedIn, you can change what your LinkedIn URL is. Oh my gosh, that is, we have three recs, Jackie. That is another (laughs) one. I would have never thought to share that. Yeah, so like my LinkedIn is, you know, HTTPS colon slash slash www.linkedin.com. And then the follow-up is my name. Yep. So instead of having like, Jackie, eight, four, one, six, nine, seven, two. It's just my first name, my last name. And that Mm -hmm. makes it really easy for someone to type in as well. So something to keep in mind. And then once again, the LinkedIn has your face on it. Back to the point Mary was making about that facial recognition. They can put together the content with the person. And for our last potential place to network, we have poster sessions. We have following after a talk or symposia. We have at a job fair. And we have finally, dun, 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 different social environments. Jackie, what do you have to share about those? Yeah. So obviously, right, we already talked about food at the lunch line, at the buffet, at the coffee line. Morning Starbucks. Yes. You know, you're going to see other people out there. Everyone's tired making jokes about how I can't survive without my cup of coffee. You know, those classic things you see on the uh, towels at Marshall's, the towels at Home Goods, those little (laughs) phrases, those quips, they're funny. Coffee, lipstick, hustle, baby. So having those little easy tie-ins, but then there's also other social environments. So if you see that your university is putting on an alum event, go meet other people who are alumni who have similar interests. Something that I love about a lot of the conferences that I go to is that they have special interest groups. So if you see that there's a special interest group that you have an interest in, like going to the fun activities, right? So Sometimes there's karaoke nights. Shout out to Jose A. Martinez Diaz. He was a huge karaoke fan. There might be dances. There might be ignites, which are something I love that Faba does each year. They're really quick talks that are typically uh, comedy in the way that they're delivered, but you get a lot of succinct information and putting yourself out there and going to these events, even if maybe your peers don't want to go, is going to allow you to be in a more casual environment where the expectation is casual conversation. So you're not going to be taking anyone and putting them in an uncomfortable place because when you go to these, you expect that conversation is going to take place and that new connections are going to be established. Incredible. I love that we provided so many like real examples and not just recs, but like literally these are real things that occur at almost every conference that you can initiate with. So I think I think that's awesome. Go us, pat on the back. Woohoo. Yeah. So just for some easy recaps here, a lot of them have similar starting behaviors. So one, if possible, know something about the person you're about to talk with. Mm -hmm. If they're a researcher, you value, you know, something about their research. If they've taught your class before, you know about the interactions or the vibes that you got from that class. If they are at a job fair, you know what business that they're a part of. Part two, small talk, 
what's happening here and now? What is an easy way for us to enter the conversation that might be commenting on what's happening around us, that might be sitting and listening for context about what you can add that's going to be valuable to the conversation? And then part three, be comfortable. You're always going to feel uncomfortable. The more lighthearted you make it, the easier it is, the more flow that's taking place, the easier it's going to be for you to have that conversation. And then the last part is you want to have some follow-up. You could give them the business card. You could thank them for having this conversation with you. You could make a joke about how you're going to see them later in a burnout talk because you're talking about burnout in your conversation. Whatever that closer is, Make sure that there's some sort of, I don't know if the right word is gratefulness, but being thankful for the interaction that took place is always helpful. Yeah. And, and acknowledging that you value their time. Yeah. I love that you gave that summary. Let us know via Instagram or email if you appreciated that as much as I did, because that's actually (laughs) something I think about a lot. I listen to a podcast that, you know, it's very actionable steps, you know, do this, do this, do this. When they don't give like a brief summary at the end, I always crave that. I'm like, wait, I know I just listened and took notes, but can you give me just like a quick, like bird's eye view of everything you just talked about? So I think, I think that, I think we should add that as a regular part of our pod. A new subsection. We love Is there anything else to discuss before we rapidly wrap up? My last follow-up piece here is if you see people and it's one person talking to another person, either one, they social network scooped before you could, but most likely a scenario two that they're talking about something more in depth, more with context that you're not really going to be able to just jump in. So I would suggest leaning towards either individuals who are by themselves or a group of, you know, three or more people that are a part of it, because it's going to be a lot easier to insert yourself into the conversation if it's a one-on-one or if it's a group dynamic. But if there's just two people talking, sometimes even three people talking, it can be a conversation that they don't necessarily want someone else to be in, depending on what they're discussing. So I think you'll have more success going for a singular person or a group of four to five. I agree. Also, the location or the time of day can be a really good indicator of whether um, approaching someone, if they're talking to, you know, one other person or multiple people, if it's like in between talks, there's nobody really around and there's two people like in a corner, like having a conversation, that's probably a pretty good, good indicator that, you know, they want to have that conversation in a more private area. If you're in like an at a alumni event and you're, you're sitting at those like tiny tall tables and there's like a few people and they're like openly chatting, that might be a good prompt or indicator that that would be a time where it is okay to go up more frequently and approach some people that, you know, you might not be sure. Maybe you don't know them or you're introducing yourself for the first time. Yeah. And look at those body and microfacial cues. Mm -hmm. Like Mary was saying, if they've distanced themselves from everyone else, probably not. If they're in really close proximity to one another, talking in hushed voices, closed off to other individuals in the room, keep that in mind when you're trying to initiate a conversation that they're likely engaging in certain behaviors that are hinting at their availability for a new conversation at this moment in time. You know, what's also a really good prompt that I've observed especially if you're trying to network and, you know, you want to meet people in the field you've never met that are, you know, your idols, role models, researchers, they're amazing, but you don't know who they know. And like, you don't know their schedule. 
a really good indicator for me of whether to approach or not approach in terms of gauging, like, do they know the person they're talking to super, super well and they're friends and they want to have a private conversation versus like they're networking with someone, it'll be three to five minutes. And then, you know, you can approach is if they hug initially, Mm, if they walk up to each other, they give a big hug. They're like, how are you? That's probably like their mentor or advisor or someone they worked with or advisee. If the other person approaches them and it's like, you know, a handshake or a little bit more formal, that might be an indicator that it's going to be a little bit of a shorter conversation, might be more networkish and less like we're catching up because we haven't seen each other in five years. And I spent, you know, every day with you in my undergrad program. That's a great indicating behavior. I like that. I also just realized that I shouted out Jose and I am currently wearing a Jose t-shirt. Well, look at, <laughs> if that's not say to correspondence, I don't know what is. I think that's all the content we were really looking to cover for today. I agree. So Mary, how are you staying hydrated this week? What self-care behaviors are you engaging in? This self-care behavior, (laughs) Jackie actually told me to do a little while ago. I feel like it was like, it's been months. Maybe it was a year ago. I'm not really sure. But um, it's advice that I've taken to heart and I continue to practice to this day. I am a corny, predictable rom-com lover. The more predictable it is, the more I want to watch it. And every time there's a new Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever platform rom-com movie, the chances that I will have a boost of serotonin from watching it, it's like 97.7%. Like it is really high. People were complaining about um, one of the rom-coms on Netflix with like Reese Witherspoon and Ashton Kutcher. They were like, it was so corny. I loved it. I thought it was amazing. It is a serotonin boost. Serotonin. It is a serotonin boost. It's a serotonin boost. (laughs) It is a serotonin boost for me. Specifically, let me set the scene for you of how I hydrated myself last Friday night. I had my work day. I slayed. We love that. We were productive. I think it was like 4 p.m., but let's just say like 5 p.m. hits. It's dinner time. We turn on the TV. I have an open kitchen so I can see the TV from the kitchen, which is amazing. Turn on the TV. Turn on the Netflix rom-com. Never seen it before. It's called A Tourist's Guide to Love. It's actually all about Vietnam. I learned a lot about Vietnam. I thought it was an incredible movie. It was very predictable. I thought it was cute. I loved it. There were like a couple, like there was one line he said where I cringed a little bit, but overall I would give it a 10 out of 10. And it was just what I needed, you know, low stakes, enjoying a nice movie at the end of a Friday to wrap everything up and then be able to sit down with my meal, watch the end, cry at the happy scene and be able to go to bed into a beautiful somber sleep. That is how I hydrated myself this past week. Love it. If it works for you, it works for you. I do always love when I'm a big history fan. So if I can be learning during anything, that's always a huge perk for me. So I probably would love that just to learn more about Vietnam and their culture. So I'm glad that it's something that's been working for you. Yeah. They talked all about the new year and all of the practices and behaviors, and it was really beautiful. I would, I would recommend, but yeah, you will cringe for sure. My self-care behavior is kind of the opposite here. Instead of staying in, I'm going out. So I have a hammock stand that I haven't set up since I moved in. And I decided to go ahead and set that up this week. So it fits really nicely on my patio. It's uh, pretty much the full length of the patio, but that works out fine because it gives me a little bit of privacy from anyone else. So I've been just going and laying out in the hammock reading the book I'm reading, 
sometimes just enjoying the evening air. And that's been really nice for me. It's something I learned during the time of the pandemic that nature dosing is really helpful. Yes. A lot of my nature currently has been strictly from my walks with my dog. So I think having some time in nature where it just is peaceful and relaxing and I'm not thinking about Hercules's behavior or the fellow ducks and geese that are walking by, the squirrels, the chipmunks. I just get to be outside and breathe. I think that's really lovely. So that's been helping to water my plants this week. Nature dosing is so real. Even just outside your window, opening your window. I love what you said about having a hammock. I'm very jealous of that. Love the hammock life. Oh, yeah. And if anyone's interested in living the hammock life, I do not have trees on my patio, so I don't have the old-fashioned hammock set up, but what I did a couple of years ago when I lived in Florida is I got a hammock stand that can break down, so it costs under $100, and it's able to be completely broken down. It came in this little nice carrying bag from Walmart. So it makes it really easy for me to engage in these self-care behaviors because also I can travel with it if I wanted to. When I moved, it was super easy to move. It's not something that can't get broken down and it's indoor, outdoor. So it doesn't rust super easy, which is super nice too. What a great wreck. What a great way to stay hydrated. That wraps up this week's episode. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to make waves, collect data, and as always, behave yourself.